0: Aloha. This is Doctor Tiki, and I'm listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I'm glad to hear that you are too. We will begin in mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war.
1: It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess the that you've been guilty of witchcraft.
0: You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to we'll bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Hello, Crab Rangoon Nebula, and welcome to Talkcast 243. That's right; we've done this 242 other times. And we still haven't got a clue what the hell we're doing. It's just another attempt to fill your mind with what passes for nonsensical science fiction. Deep in Area 51 at the Pangalactic No G Masters and Johnson Certified Cooking School, I am the man with a mandolin known only as Fingers McDougal or the Dome. Joining the talk cast tonight are the usual suspects: the Revere Time Vortex, is home to our violent soundboard vixen, vice princess of rhetoric, our girl genius Kriana, who's playing Pokemon on her iPhone.
2: It's true they call it something else, but it still counts
0: as what?
2: As a little game where you catch monsters.
0: Ah. From the stack of her personal calm space in the Dank Dungeon's only indoor zen and vegetable garden, which doubles as the robot reading room, tonight playing guitar, mandolin, and a sousaphone, because she can, the Zombarian.
1: Only thing I'm not playing is a knockoff video game. (laughs) Yeah, I got that covered. Yep, I'm playing the real one on the emulator on my
0: computer.
1: Which is totally legal.
0: Yep. About as legal as the knockoff on your iPhone. However, (laughs) our guest tonight, well, let's explain a little bit about where we are, who we are, and what we're doing here. Uh, It's a couple days after Boston Comic Con. None of us is feeling the slightest bit of energy or empathy or anything at this point other than deep physical pain from three days of close-quarter geekdom, which was what Boston Comic Con was. And one of the people that we met at Boston Comic-Con joins us today, author Shakita Johnson. Shakita, welcome to the show. Thank you. Oh, you have energy.
3: (laughs) (laughs) What the hell?
0: How did that happen?
3: (laughs) I think I might have took a nap.
0: Oh, smart move. (laughs) Uh, We'll be talking about Shakita Johnson's new book series, Dark Indiscretions, uh, in the second half of the show, or the third quarter, or the fourth, whatever, when we get there after we do the other stuff. But first, the news. Okay, so you hit the wrong button on that one first.
2: It was an artistic choice, as far as you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, nice move. So right off the bat, I think uh, probably one of the most uh, disturbing things that happened this week was the evident suicide of uh, Robin Williams who was frankly a comic genius. He was age 63 uh, in battling severe depression most of his life as well as uh, battling other demons as well. and. He stars in the upcoming Night at the Museum, number three, Secret of the Tomb, in December. And he had some other science fiction parts, some of which were terrific, some of which were not so terrific. Uh, But basically his first uh, real work of science fiction was the TV show that brought him to most of America, uh, Mork and Mindy.
1: Actually, actually, if we're being technical, it, his first appearance as Mork was on Happy Days. Happy
0: Days, and again on Laverne and Shirley, where he dated Shirley Feeney, but that's a whole other story. <laughs>
1: and he's also been in a bunch of fantasy movies and yes. a couple horror movies, which were not very good, either of them. I saw them both. Um, but I will say it was not because of Robin Williams that they were bad. He played the bad guy in both of them, and was absolutely terrifying in both of them.
0: And you know, he his his ability to play those kind of offbeat, terrifying roles, or or uh, what things may come, which he played an incredibly em- empathetic role, or uh, empathic pers- even. Or even that. Or Bicentennial Man where he played uh, uh, He was a a robot. (laughs) Yes, he was a robot. Who wanted to be a real boy, yes. And based on the, the Asimov story, The Bicentennial Man which is a classic, and this movie was nowhere near a classic, but Again, I'm not sure that it was his a cl- fault. A
2: classic we- example of what not to do when you make a movie.
1: But, a, but, but Robin Williams was excellent in...
0: In the role. The role. And it was just a, a not a great script.
1: I, I feel get. like a lot of his movies, you, you'd see them and you'd say, well, the script was terrible, but what he did from within it.
0: Yeah, and I would tend to agree with that. And, um, of
1: course, one of his most famous roles for people of our age who are not a million.
0: Thank you. You're
1: welcome. I tease because I love you. Um, was as the genie in Disney's Aladdin.
0: That's very true.
1: And he improvised that whole role.
0: Yeah. Well, there there was a script there, but he kind of threw that one away.
1: Well, <laughs> apparently he... I read articles all day and watched the birdcage and hook. So <laughs> now I know all kinds of fun trivia for you. Um, Apparently they brought him in to, you know, record his parts and they thought it was going to take, you know, an hour, a couple hours, uh, uh-huh. to do all his lines in the movie. And he kept, and he would say, Oh, Hey, can I just play around with this one a little bit? And they can, and they, he would do it, and then they'd say, no, keep going, keep going. And they ended up recording 18 hours
0: That does not of
1: him that. just improvising, and they pulled the bits they wanted out of that. And he said that was the most voices he ever did in one role. He said there were almost 40 uh, uh. impressions that he did in that one movie
0: an absolute genius when it came to that kind of stuff. I mean, some of the early Mork and Mindy stuff and actually even some of the later stuff when he and Jonathan Winters were on uh, was just absolutely amazing. You were going to say something, Kriana, or just take another deep breath?
2: Uh, what? I <laughs> uh, Whatever. So anyhow,
0: we where'd She's where'd still
1: playing her her knockout okay. video game.
0: <laughs> so we're back from Boston Comic-Con and Boston Comic-Con was uh, an amazing event this year. Absolutely. It was uh, a good time. I, yeah, I mean after last year which was just one of those uh Series of weird events culminating in two days of incredible geekdom. I didn't know that that could actually be topped. And the first thing that they did to make the event even larger and, in fact, slash weirder was bringing it to a three-day event. And I don't know about you, but, oh, my God, that third day was killer. Uh Just in terms of body. (laughs) And I just—I was so wiped out by the middle of day three. Yes. So, what were your highlights of Boston? Who? You guys.
1: Oh. I got a cool doll. There was a robot. There was not a. There was a robot. There
0: was a robot, but more importantly, there was a doll
1: my doll is awesome don't even make fun of her she's amazing i'm
0: making fun of her so tell us about the doll where did it come from
1: well it came from mystic asylum Mm -hmm. and it's so creepy and so wonderful and cute but really that wasn't actually my my highlight um my highlight was getting to see all of the wonderful people who we get to see at bunches of cons, but it's always so wonderful to walk into a convention and have and feel like you're constantly turning around and saying, "Oh, hi! I'm so happy to see you." It's nice to feel that community of nerds.
0: Yeah, the geek community is kind of neat, and there are always new people every year who walk up to the table and go. I really like what you did on that show, or I really didn't like what you did on that show, both of yeah. which means they're listening, which yeah, is I've, cool. I've,
1: even after years now of that happening, I'm always surprised and really, really flattered when people are like, oh, yeah, I listened to your show. I love it. I'm like, oh, really? So hi, everybody who came up to the table and said, oh, yeah, I listened to
0: your show. Thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. We man. love you, too. Absolutely, that's why, kind of one of the reasons we do this.
1: Can I have a second highlight, though?
0: You absolutely can, my because I, I highlight... don't think Brianna's going to wake up at any point during the show. So,
1: yeah, I
2: think ah.
1: my second highlight was is a kind of a two parter. The first part is that Boston Comic Con, like many conventions, um, had a stated uh, sexual harassment policy and a cosplay is not consent policy. And there were signs posted all over the convention floor and at the entrances as you came in, um, which was wonderful in the first place. And in the second place, not only did I see people following that policy, when someone was not following that policy, I not only saw the staff and the security people taking that policy seriously, I saw other convention goers taking the policy seriously and approaching people who they felt were acting inappropriately and saying, hey, you just, that girl just bent over to pick up her bag and you took a picture of her butt and that's
0: not cool. Um, it was really nice to see It was band.
1: wonderful and to see And it was there that.
0: a lot. I mean, not people were doing it a lot, but everybody was kind of, the community was reinforcing their own sense of values instead of having to wait for uh, a convention staff to do it. And I thought that that was really neat. Absolutely,
1: and doing it in a way that wasn't necessarily, "Ah, oh, I must swoop in and save this girl. It was more of a "Hey, that's not cool, yeah, it,
0: was. it
1: wasn't the like kind of fake, nice guy where they're like, "Oh well, if I stop this guy from blatantly harassing this girl, she'll let me touch her boobs." <laughs> There is that hero complex sometimes, um, and it was really nice to see that it was really just a respect issue a lot uh, of the times that I saw it.
0: Totally agree. Kriana?
1: There was a robot.
2: <laughs> In panties.
0: Bueller? Come on. Anything? Panties? Is that where you're going, or is that it?
2: That's panties.
0: Yeah. Okay. Great. That's
1: well- all I remember. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, we didn't get to do much this year. We didn't get to the costume contest. We didn't get to the indie film festival. No, we
2: were too busy handing out stuff to the masses of people <laughs> that showed we up.
0: Stuff at the
1: table all day. It
0: was terrible. The- just meeting all those people.
1: I know it was terrible and wonderful because on the one hand I like to be able to say, "Oh, and we did this extra thing and we saw this and we did that," but we didn't do. Much. We did interviews and <laughs> sat at the table.
0: Yeah, I, I got to interview two people, one of whom I've wanted to for a long, long time, and the other one I had never thought of until the con this year.
1: I, I don't g- think many people had.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I got three years ago uh, Sergio Oragon from Mad Magazine was uh, supposed to be at the con and I had one of his really old beat up books and I said you know what I'm going to buy a new copy of this and I'm going to have him sign it and that year he had an accident with his back and didn't show up so I said alright I'll wait till next year because he's come the past you know he's supposed to be been there the past two years and last year he wasn't there And then when I found out he was going to be here this year, I packed the book and didn't really say much of anything except mentioning it on the show every freaking week. Uh, (laughs) And not only did I get the book signed, but I got, I don't know, five, six, seven minutes with him, uh, uh, which was really fun just to kind of have a little bit of alone time with him to to talk about his art and, and what he does and how he does it but the funny part that happened was was after the, the interview ended and he he, I looked at him and I said would you like me to send you the URL when we post this video and he looked up at Kriana holding the ca- the iPhone camera and went that's a camera? and I went yeah he goes oh you videotaped this, and it, then he wanted to see it, and then I found out that he didn't really own a computer, <laughs> and uh, it was it was a very interesting insight to the old school, uh, and and him, and he, he was gracious and kind and soft spoken and wonderful. But the other interview that uh, I hadn't actually considered even getting an interview was. Uh, I met on the elevator at the hotel Edgardo Rodriguez who is uh, the chief creative officer for DMC Comics which is run by Daryl DMC McDaniels who is Daryl McDaniels of Run DMC yes, that guy and uh, he saw The the,
1: rap group The rap guy For those of you who are like that sounds familiar, who's that?
0: Who is that? What is that? And um We got to talking in the elevator on the way down to coffee in the morning, uh, which was like... (laughs) Because Dome
2: is so gangster.
0: Yeah, that's me. You know, a large, puffy white guy with these black rap guys and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, hey, hey, why don't we do an interview, kids? And I've never felt more like Mickey Rudy in my life, for those of you my age who actually understand that. Uh, And it turns out that I had an absolutely fabulous time with Daryl, and we had, it felt like 10, 15 minutes of just kind of light banter talking about his, his new comic, DMC Comics, and uh, which stands for Daryl Makes Comics. I love that. Uh, and the cover is done by Damian Scott, Carlos Mara, Dexter Vines, and Chris Sotomayor, just incredibly cool stuff. And he's evidently launching a whole line of DMC comics. And it's not about rap. It's about superheroes and the stuff that he grew up on. Uh, and we had an incredibly cool conversation.
2: It was and- actually cool. Jim's not exaggerating, for those of you who don't actually believe that.
0: Hey, look, Kriana woke up to say something, and it was actually complimentary. I'm impressed.
2: Bite me. Don't push your luck.
0: <laughs> so, uh, Boston Comic Con, uh, I don't know how it's going to get any bigger, because I do believe they're now at the biggest convention center in Boston.
2: No, uh, BCE is bigger.
0: And it, they may have to move there, because... There were times when it looked like salmon spawning week.
1: Well, and I don't know if you heard this, dome, They had to turn people away on Saturday. Wow. They hit capacity, and there were some poor, poor, poor people who'd been standing out in line for almost four hours. And then the convention center hit capacity, and they had to turn them away.
0: I do know that the line when I went to get coffee Saturday morning, uh, at like seven thirty, eight o'clock The line had already started to form around the building So, oh my god People, geek united But, uh Lord knows, I think it needs to be bigger
1: <laughs> I'm sure they'll hate that
0: I know, it's a terrible, horrible thing
1: I'm hoping that next year there are more panels I heard a lot of people saying Oh, I wish there was more there were more panels
0: a lot of the panels were on sunday
1: yeah and a lot of them were apparently very very crowded i hate
2: panels i'm good I without like-
1: panels
0: but some people go there for panels i know well and you're not one of them
1: <laughs> you go there for shiny things that's right my and friend. you
0: got yourself some shiny and stuff panties everything. yeah Oh, what was the name of that that wonderful jewelry place that we went to?
2: Scully Couture.
0: Yeah.
1: With a K. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh. And gosh, I wish I could remember her name, but we do. have Heather. Her. Heather, we have it's Really easy to remember. Yeah. Well, you know what? No name is easy for me to remember. Or don't? Haven't you ever realized that?
2: You called I her think, Heller when you started the interview. <laughs> And then then you looked at me like I was crazy, but luckily there was someone else there to say, yeah, no, you really said that.
0: Uh, Well, names in me don't mean nothing. Okay, Heller. So, yeah, Scully Couture uh, was our jewelry find of the the decade. Just beautiful, beautiful jewelry. And we'll be posting an interview with uh, Heather as well from Scully Couture in the next uh, week or so. But that was Boston. And Boston was amazing. We got to see all of our old friends and make a whole bunch of new friends and spend a crap load of money and buy some incredibly cool shit. And there was that. Yay! And as you said there, Zombrarian, yeah, I think by the time we're done with Boston Comic Con, we'll be about halfway through the show, and we're damn close. We are. (laughs) Um, so is there anything else you, you feel like talking about? I've got a couple of little cutie things I, I could talk about real quick.
1: I don't know. Let, let's take a look. We're, we're so professional and organized. Oh, I know.
0: I know. Well, you know, th- this has been a good summer for movies.
1: It has.
0: And uh, some better than others. Uh, <laughs> Lord knows. Isn't it always the way?
1: And uh, the unexpected hit, Guardians of the Galaxy, of the which Galaxy. Is everyone was like, it's going to be ridiculous but kind of fun, and apparently.
0: No. no, it was more than kind of fun. It was apparently incredibly cool.
1: Yeah, I have to admit I haven't seen it yet.
0: But there are a number of films. I am
1: shamed.
0: Uh, it's okay. You were a little busy this summer so far.
1: Truth. I but, had a whole week of vacation during which I slept.
0: Well, that takes busyness to do. I, yeah. I got you with that. So there, of the movies that came out this summer, they've already released uh, information for 12 of them that are already going to be sequelized for next year or in the next couple of years, which includes uh, Captain America, which uh, the third movie in that series will come out in 2016.
1: I feel like we already knew that Captain America was going to be a
0: Yeah, I think we did. Part of the uh, Marvel juggernaut. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, Marvel's got what? Movies lined up till 2018, 2019?
0: Yes. yes, they do at this point.
1: Years. For years coming out. Anyway, sorry. You That's were talking okay. about 12 sequels to this summer's movies.
0: And then The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is, I think, a sequel we could do without, which is due in 2018.
1: Wait, can I guess one movie that is not getting a sequel?
0: Sure, go ahead.
1: The Fault in Our Stars, because, spoiler, (laughs) they die at the end because it's a movie about teenagers with cancer.
0: Yep, good call.
1: That um, was the, the most insensitive cosplay I saw over the weekend, by the way.
0: I know. I know. Oh. I saw that one and I just kind of went, oh, oh, that I was... takes. Uh...
1: Yeah. Oh, wait, can I, just, can I just take a left turn real quick? Like we don't ever do that. Go ahead. Turn left.
0: One of the coolest cosplays I saw the entire weekend was Balloon Dress Girl.
1: <gasps> oh, my gosh. Balloon Princess Peach and Luigi. They were <laughs> awesome.
0: So we got to talking with this this young lady who literally had a balloon dress uh, that was just incredibly uh, difficult.
1: Like and the I balloons s- that you would make, like, animals and little hats out of if you were a balloon artist. A she party. had
0: a full, full Princess Luigi dress on, or oh, whatever. Princess, it is. Princess, Princess Peach? Luigi. Princess Luigi. There was a Princess Luigi, too, and that was just... Just horrifying to look at, but yeah. So, and we she got to talk to her and said, that yes, that how many, how long did it take to, to make that? And the answer, hours. <laughs> over three days, 11 yep. hours. Yep. Uh, one day to make the skirt, one day to make the top, and one day to make the balloon corset center. And then we watched her bet- get out of the dress, which was actually almost—it
1: was so terrifying, but wonderful at the same time. And I have to give her big props, not only for wearing it all day, because she wore it all day. Yeah, we saw her as they were coming in and as they were leaving. Um, but I also have to give her big props for wearing the dress on the bus, <laughs> <and> only losing <laughs> one <laughs> balloon on the yep. way to the convention.
0: That was incredible.
1: We might actually have them on the show. We have their contact info. And
0: and I think we probably should because the guy who put that together is amazing. And the young lady who wore it showed phenomenal stamina and and just was a –
1: And they were both so much fun to talk to.
0: They actually were. Our
1: guests should have that joy. (laughs) So anyway, sorry, we veered off into cosplay, but –
0: back to sequels. What are
1: what are some non-Marvel movies that are getting sequels done? Okay.
0: Well, here's one that shouldn't have a sequel as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh Godzilla?
1: I don't know. I feel like we need a remake of Godzilla versus Mothra. But,
0: but but the remake that that came out this summer with Brian uh, Brian Breaking Bad, whatever his name is. Boitano?
1: So, no, he's a figure skater.
0: He's a figure skater. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh, that would be awesome! Brian That's one Brian Boitano.
0: <laughs> in Breaking Bad, absolutely, Yes. was was just hey, not I a great movie.
1: On they have a, Godzilla and Brian Boitano face off in an, a figure skating competition to the death on the world's largest sheet of crystal meth. <laughs> We've just we made you your next hit movie. Hollywood, th- we'll we
0: get have. on that. Um, X Men: Days of Future Past, which I really liked. I really thought that that was an ingenious way to uh, mold the two casts together. Yes. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon Three. Uh, because there were so many unanswered questions in How to Train Your Dragon too. People
1: really like those, though. Those and I, like you know, I, if I gotta, Despicable Me.
0: If I can be honest about it, I really like the How to Train Your Dragon movies. I really I haven't do. seen
1: those yet either.
0: They're really, really cute. They really are. Here are two that are bothering me horribly. Mm-hmm. Transformers is going to go for f- number five. <sighs>
1: It's like rocky. <laughs> kind of like just die already.
0: And teenage mutant ninja steroids.
1: Mm. <laughs> maybe they'll fix it.
0: Uh the only way to fix it is to put them out of their misery.
1: Well, maybe they'll
2: put- Maybe Robin Williams will come back to life as a zombie. Really funny zombie
1: best zombie and he will be too in soon? Movie and
0: too soon, yeah, less than a week, I'm thinking too soon
1: less than a day well, a little over a day
0: and of course everybody knows the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is, is scheduled for 2017 and if you don't know you should and possibly mm. the worst m- movie ever, The Purge uh, which I thought was about bulimia and probably should have been, but wasn't.
1: Okay, <laughs> Here's my thing. The Purge is one of those horror movies where I get really mad because it had a really, really cool concept.
0: They got blown five minutes into it. Yeah. Oh,
1: my God. I watched the first, like, ten minutes less than the first ten minutes of the first one, and I was so bored.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a great idea. And it turns into a formulaic piece of, of, of well, trait. Well, they
1: spent 10 minutes of a 90-minute movie with this guy driving through suburbia. I'm like, you could have established that in one, two minutes and gotten on to the things that are scary. But,
0: but even if- the stuff that was scary had so little to do with the concept of the movie that they, there was no reason to have the concept of, quote, the purge.
1: See, and I didn't even get that far. But from what I saw of the uh, teasers on TV, the second one looks like it focused more on the terror of the actual event rather than,
3: oh, there are people in my house. Yes. The call is
1: coming from inside the the
3: house.
0: (laughs) Why did we both go for the same joke on that one? Because
1: whenever you hear horror movie and in the house, that's where you go.
0: I suppose. I suppose. Joss Whedon, our favorite uh, writer, producer, director, cool guy of the universe.
1: Fan of the Uh, show. We have to stop (laughs) saying
0: that. I know.
1: (laughs) This is how rumors get started.
0: Uh, They wrapped uh, Avengers Age of Ultron which I am dying to see. And uh, he tweeted out a photo uh, of him and just labeled it Avengers 2 wrapped. What the hell do I do now? (laughs) And he's just sitting there with this look of like boredom on his face, like, shit, now what do I do? Uh, Joss, you can kind of sit back and relax and enjoy life for a little bit because, uh...
1: Start working on Avengers 3. Don't tell him to sit back and relax.
0: I want him to make Firefly 2, thank you very much.
1: Well, but he's... I... See, and I'm scared now. No! It's been too long. It's been too long, and I feel like it will have lost something at this point. I'm going to come out and say I'm going to be the least... least popular Firefly Flan. Firefly fan. Yeah, that's
2: yeah. a pudding dessert based on an insect. Yes, It's got little chopped up bits of it in it and it luminesces.
1: Yes, and also I'm going to be the least popular Firefly so, fan ever. There's a leg
2: sticking out of the top.
1: And say <laughs> that I don't think that they should do another series. I don't think they should do a sequel to the movie. I think it's too late. The good
2: news about Firefly Flan is that uh, it's a good source of protein.
1: <laughs> and Kriana's gonna keep harping on my
2: You <laughs> got a wing coming out the side. <laughs> right. yeah, but awesome. it goes
0: in the dark. Exactly. Uh, we're gonna post as as part of the uh, as part of the blog post that accompanies this this wonderful talk cast. We're gonna post up two movies for you. We are? To, to, we, are. Oh, cool. uh, we are? We are. Oh, cool. We are? We are. We're going to post up... The really?
2: Who's doing that?
0: ...to the Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season one gag reel, which, quite frank, frankly, is fairly funny. Uh, but the other thing that, that I really want to put up is I am not a huge fan of Lego movies. I think that it's... Probably some of the worst forms of animation ever. And the actual Lego movie that occurred was just uh, not really cool. Tragic. Okay. I think tragic, uh, painfully tragic, is probably. But it
1: did include the line, I can be dark and mysterious. Oh, guys, look, a rainbow.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately. That's, yeah. (laughs) But. There's this guy, and I don't even know who it is because literally the article said some guy made a shot-for-shot Lego version of the Walking Dead Season 5 trailer. Oh my
2: god, two things I don't care about, the Walking Dead and Lego movies.
0: Well, there's one thing I don't care about there, and here's why.
1: Guys, come on. The Walking Dead has has jumped jumped the
2: shark so many times.
0: And yet, I can't wait for this season to begin.
2: Well, that makes one of us.
0: No, that actually makes one and a half of us, because I think Heather's on, uh, uh, on the fence with this one. Me? God, oh. don't ruin her secret identity, don't. To
1: I told <laughs> you that over the weekend I've given up on my secret identity.
0: Because huh. <laughs> so I keep
1: I... introducing myself wrong.
0: <laughs> but the reality is... Uh, That there were some huge changes made in in Walking Dead, it's moving into a direction that I'm really hoping is going to bring it back on track and I'm willing to give it a shot and I thought, as much as I dislike Lego movies, and I really dislike Lego movies that this trailer for The Walking Dead, uh, shot for shot was pretty damn cool, not bad you know, if somebody's going to do a Lego movie, this one was okay.
2: Well, no, I like that. I like how the best praise you can muster up for it was okay.
0: Hey, that's better than most Lego movies by a goddamn handful. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yay! We did news.
0: <laughs> we did news, and nobody died. I'm I'm kind of surprised by that.
1: It's it's still early in the evening.
0: It is. It absolutely is. So somebody's been giggling in the background through the entire news segment, and I believe that was Shakita Johnson. Shakita, welcome back to your segment of the show. Hello. How are you?
3: I am exhausted. I am excited. I am giddy. I am freaking
0: out. (laughs) All at once. Okay, well, at least you're calm and relaxed. (laughs) Yeah. As we were walking through Boston Comic Con, we came across this young lady sitting in her booth with novels and naked people on the front of the covers. <laughs> and Kriana Only said...
1: Naked dudes," Which was such a refreshing moment that we paused.
0: <laughs> and Kriana said, stop here! Stop here! So we did. And we got to talking with Shakita about her, her series of books. And Shakita, let's talk about Dark Indiscretions, which is, at this point, a series of two books and a third book, a prequel, coming out this week, isn't it?
3: Yes, it will be. I will be hitting the publish button on Friday. Right now, my PA is actually doing one last read-through to make sure I know how to spell correctly. <laughs> Don't needs one of those.
0: So hire me a PA, come on. Go for that.
3: They're the thing to do now, PA.
0: <laughs> tell but, so, um Tell yeah. us about uh, Dark Indiscretions. is a series of books based in a parallel universe to the universe we live in. So there's in our universe, there are other things going on we don't know anything about. Yes. We're the average person. So Dark tell is- us about. Tell us about the universe you've created here.
3: i basically... Okay, I have a friend, my friend James Gavin Wallace, whom one of my characters is named after. After And um, mostly any movie he watches, say he's going to watch Thor, he's probably going to root for Loki. Or we're watching um, Snow White and the Huntsman. He was all about the witch. So I had an idea. I was like, hey, let me just make him a book. Series with all villains. Let's kind of get their take on their stories and how they feel and why they do what they do. And Dark Indiscretions was born. Uh, of course, it wasn't entitled Dark Indiscretions when I first started it. It was called Something Else Completely. But I took everything that I like about paranormal creatures, uh, vampires, werewolves, hybrids, and I kind of made my own uh, world for them. I have Mystics, which are the vampire. Half vampire, half shape-shifting witches. I have the dahlias, which are my werewolves, and they're kind of like a cross between the Twilight Wolves and the Dire Wolves from Game of Thrones, because those were pretty cool. And then I have the cat-like hybrids, and a friend described them perfectly as like Thundercats, kind of, because they're... Mostly human, but when they get mad or whatever, they kind of grow claws and their teeth are long and their eyes kind of shift and get that cat-like quality. So it's really cool. I set them in Boston and they're going around doing whatever they want to do. They're killing, they're murdering, they're having sex. They're basically just doing whatever they want and don't care. But in the background, there's the Secret Society, Who Cares? And we learned a little bit more about them in the prequel. Because when I first started the series, I wasn't really intended on it being a series. It kind of was just a book. So I wrote the first one. I just sat down and I started writing. I didn't outline anything. It just kind of was all in my head. And I just put it on to paper. And then after I wrote the first one, I was like, hmm, there's a little bit more I need to say. So I wrote the second one, and even still, I still wanted to go back and kind of explain some stuff a little bit more, so that's why I thought of writing the prequel, and kind of giving insight to two of my characters, James and Kane, uh, their relationship, because in the beginning it's kind of rocky, they're kind of like frenemies, but I go back to the beginning, and I spend almost 2,000 years, and in there we find the creation of the society, what was the catalyst for that? And Dark Indiscretions is born, and there's four more books after that.
0: So, what made you want to write these books? What was, what was the impetus? All right, what, what, okay, let's actually go earlier than that. What was your first writing? When did you start writing, and what was it?
3: I started writing on a say around 12 or 13, and I would just write random poetry. Like dark, sappy, heartbreak stuff.
0: Oh, Sylvia Plath poetry. Gotcha. Okay.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So like, I've always liked poetry. It's uh, my first love. And I've been doing that on and off since I was 13. I think I wrote my last poem, I want to say earlier this year, maybe into last year. And I actually published like seven of my poems in um in a little collection. Well but there are
1: some poems in um in Dark Indiscretions too, aren't there? Yes. There's at least um, the one at the beginning.
3: It's kinda like uh the epigraphs I write in kind of poetry style. And to me spells is basically poetry. That's all it is for me when I write my spells. It's like I'm writing a poem, but on a smaller scale. So I did kind of incorporate a little of the poetry into Dark Indiscretions.
0: So what made you then decide to create this universe?
3: Well, I read a lot. Like, before I started writing, I could probably read, honestly, three to four books in a day and times that by a week, that's a lot of freaking books.
0: Yep, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I read about all kind of werewolves, vampires I read, Kim Harrison, uh, J.R. Ward, Alona Andrews, like all these different worlds and character building. And I, after I'm reading and while I'm waiting for the next book, I'm kind of daydreaming about what would happen next. And I kind of have myself starring in the daydream. Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm constantly daydreaming all the time like if I'm not reading or if I'm not watching TV I'm thinking about something in my head some kind of made up story and I figured well let me just write my own and like I said I didn't start writing Dark Indiscretions to sell to anyone I wrote it for my best friend and he of course is gay so I was like of course I have to put gay elements in it because he's not going to want to read about just a woman and a man having sex. So, Dark and Discretion was born. And I knew I wanted like strong characters, all of them. When I read, when I read certain series, and there's a part in the book where someone should slap someone, but they don't, I was like, "There's, I have to write something where they actually get slapped." So
0: every okay,
3: pretty real. Like if I'm doing dialogue and someone should shut the hell up, the character's gonna say, "Shut the hell up." They're not gonna think it. They're probably gonna like throat punch him or something and say "shut up" or "I hate you." And I just wanted it to be really real. I wanted it to be really me and what I'm thinking when I'm reading the book. And I just wrote it.
0: So, in putting this book together, did you? How many books are there in, in the, going to be in the entire series?
3: It's going to be right now. The, there's a seven. I have plans for seven in all.
0: Did you think when you were writing the first set of stories for this book that it was going to expand into a seven-book series?
3: No, I had no intention of writing past the first book. That's probably why I end up going back and doing the prequel in the first place, because there was a lot of stuff that I didn't put in that I didn't think anyone would Wow well,
0: okay, I don't know what happened there. Yeah, we kind of uh, we we have what's known as a Skype glitch. so we were we were talking about uh, the filling in the the information from the prequel.
3: Oh yeah, so I kind of just went back and did the prequel and kind of went a little further. Because the plot and the arc, the whole story arc, became bigger than I thought it was after writing Monster Unleashed when I introduced the prophecy. So I knew I had to go back and do a little backtracking. So that's how the prequel came about. Because it was only supposed to be... After I wrote the first one, I had an idea for four more. And then, of course, (laughs) I... uh, said I was going to do a short story. So I wrote this short story and I didn't want to have it to do anything with Dark Indiscretions. But it somehow weaseled its way into Dark Indiscretions. And now it's not a short story anymore. It's a full novel. So it's kind of like in between um, the third book that I'm going to be writing, which is Seer Destin, and the fourth one, which is Triple Cursed. So that's where the sixth book came in. And the seventh book came from the prequel when I figured I'd do a little backtracking. So the series kind of took on a mind of its own and it became much bigger than I originally thought because I'm always getting little pieces here and there.
0: So it seems to me like you're writing the, you're writing the, the process by which these books comes about is pretty much you're writing it you're going, I really need to explain this, but I can't do it now, so we're going to have to do it someplace else later. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I did notice that there is a, a real stream to your writing. It's just, It's got that feeling of people are talking, and that's what they're saying, and that's how it's coming out. And if people don't understand what's going on, we'll get to it later, but we need to move forward.
3: Yes. And a lot of it is because I've decided not to spill the beans yet, Like, I'll set up something, but it's not going to actually get resolved into a a book or two later, because that's just how the storyline's going. So it seems kind of out of place. Like, there's a conversation that didn't happen, but it really hasn't happened yet. So I kind of...
1: Do you keep a lot of notes for that, or do you have it all kind of... In your, I'm always fascinated by people who can keep track of their own plot lines really well, and so, I don't know why, because it seems like something everyone should do, but there are so many authors who don't.
3: I read a, I read a lot when I actually started writing, and because like I said, the first one I just kind of sat down and was like, I'm typing now, and it turned into a book. There was no outline, there was no direction, it was just one chapter at a time, right after the other, until it was finished. And then I figured when the world started getting bigger, I might want to write some stuff down, like basic eye color,
0: <laughs>
3: because in one book, the eyes were red, were blue and the other one, they were green. Oops. <laughs> So I have I have a notebook that I use and I recently um, purchased Strybner, which is amazing and lets me keep everything in one spot versus having a too small notebook because like I said, when I first started I had a really small notebook and now that it's seven books, I'm going to need more than one. And then I would sometimes get scenes that I knew weren't in the book that I was writing but I needed to write it somewhere. So I have notes on my My iMac, all over the place. I have notes in notebooks. I have notes on my phone. They're all over the place.
0: So you've you've actually really become consumed with this series of books at this point.
3: Yes. Like, I rarely can focus on anything else. I'll get a stray idea for another series, but I'm like, no, I'm going to focus on this one and finish it. So, that I don't end up writing Dark Indiscretions into a different series and it gets out of control. I don't know how people deal with 20 book series. I couldn't do it.
0: So, if you could, for the listeners, kind of give a brief one or two sentence thing to get them interested in this series about what makes it different, you know, what what they look for in this series, what would it be?
3: The first sentence would be, it's basically the bad guys telling their story, which is really cool and never been done before. And the other sentence would be my actual tagline, which is dark indiscretions, where even the monsters are afraid of the dark.
0: Nice. (laughs) Nice. Very nice. Well, I I actually just started reading the series. I'm... uh, not as far into it, because this is taking place like, oh, 24 hours after I got the book. So I haven't had much of a chance to read it yet. But I am looking forward to it. And <laughs> we had a lovely time talking with you at the con and a lovely time with you here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night.
1: Wait, the- I have one more question that I have Oh, go ahead.
0: Ask. Go for you it. You might
1: not want to, like, you might want to cover your earstone. Uh, this one's going to be awkward for you.
0: What else is new?
1: Okay. So I have always wanted to ask someone this. And I don't oh God, and I've never
0: help me. Go ahead.
1: My question comes from reading fan fiction. And I'm always kind of like how do these women figure out how gay male sex works? Like To do research, did you, like, Google it, or did you watch gay porn, or did you just kind of guess? Like, I have to know how people figure this out. I mean, I know there are ways, but I need to know what the official author way is.
3: I'm probably going to give out more information about myself than I probably should.
1: (laughs) But (laughs) we promise not to tell anyone except our listeners.
3: It's probably like a three or four step process. Number one, my best friend is gay and I hang out with a lot of gay men. Number two, I watch a lot of gay porn. Yes. That's what I thought. Number three, I actually like to do what a lot of guys probably would consider gay to my my sexual partners. <laughs> so I'm always uh, exploring. So I kind of know some Things like the whole scratch stretching guys and all that other stuff. Like, I kind of have gay sex with guys, but I'm a girl, if that makes sense. Perfect sense. And, well, to I me, re- I
1: don't know about anyone else.
3: And I love reading male-male, paranormal, anything. So if two men are in it, I'm reading it. That's fair. I
1: was just kind of wondered because some of it seemed like the only research these authors had done was to read other slash fiction. And, like, possibly they had no idea how anatomy worked.
3: No. You need to experience for yourself and watch. Yes. Or else how do you know if what you're describing actually works?
0: Wow, you're right. I really didn't want to hear much of
1: this. I (laughs) you... Really fair warning, though. You uh,
0: you absolutely did, and you handled it both of you with. with
1: I actually gave discretion. you a fair warning that I was going to ask that question when you told me what the books were about. I'm putting the end music on now.
0: Kriana, <laughs> what's happening in the next couple of weeks?
2: Right, that means I have to talk now. Okay. Um, well, I wish I knew, but still, all I know is Ron Garner is going to chat with us next week about his three new books. Um, so now I get to say that Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic-Con, Granite Con, Rhode Island Comic-Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArtHouse.com. Visit ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music has been provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves on LawrenceMadeMeCry.com. Tonight's intro music was provided by the Traffic Lights. Pick up their CD, Held folk at RobWattsOnline.com.
0: Dome. I want to thank our guest tonight. Well, except for that past couple of minutes. But yeah, that, no, even that stuff. Shakita Johnson, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was a pleasure having you on and a pleasure meeting you at Boston Comic-Con. Thank
3: you so much for stopping by and talking to me.
0: I want to thank our cast for joining us tonight, even though we're all kind of dead from the neck up and the neck down at this point. From the revered Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana.
2: Or just dead if you're
1: Robin Williams.
0: Too uh, soon? Oh, too soon. <laughs> and Grammar Girl Umbrarian, thank you so much, darling.
1: Oh, you're welcome, except for that last question. Last
0: couple of minutes, yes.
1: I warned you, don't.
0: <laughs> you absolutely did. Oh, this is... No, no, I gotta make sure I do it. Can you say it? Can you speak? This is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone.